Hello and welcome back to Dollars and Dragons. Today I have Shay Snow with me. If you'd like to tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, like I said, my name is Shay Snow. I am a tabletop designer. I work for Paizo specifically. I'm a Native American person. I'm cat on Swampy Creek, currently living in Washington. Cool, cool. You've been freelancing since 2020. How did that start? Uh, so originally I was in a very low popularity actual play podcast for Age of Ashes within Pathfinder. Uh, I, and I do mean low popularity. We probably had like you, 10 listeners. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't have to say that. You didn't, like, I wasn't going to out you. I'm I a been, very forthcoming person. I would have hyped you up or something. I would have been like, yeah, it was a, it was a critical success no. with the critics. No, but I was having fun with my friends. Uh, and basically, exactly. we all decided we were going to join Twitter uh, so that we could hype up the podcast and stuff. And uh, one thing is, is that there are a whole bunch of people role playing on Twitter as the different Pathfinder gods. So I started following them. Uh, and then I realized that there were actual freelancers following them. And then I followed staffers. And then one of the staffers, uh, I believe it was specifically Logan Bonner, put out an open call uh, for an upcoming book for Pathfinder 2E. Uh, and I got very excited it was it was a diversity open call so basically they wanted people who weren't just standard cis white people uh and i reached out and i was like hey i'm a native american uh agender person i would love to write with y'all and he was like yeah here contact liz liddell who liz liddell is now a, a, a head editor over at magic the gathering um but you know i was like cool i'll message them liz gave me my first assignment which was base theory three where i wrote the walliped and the azobu uh but before they did that they asked me hey can you send over example of your writing and i said yes and i sent them 15 pages of homebrew content which you should not do <laughs> yeah did they what happened to that homebrew content is it published somewhere now or are they just no. they... <laughs> they flipped through it they skimmed it and they were like okay this looks good i'll give you the assignment um I don't know where that work is right now. I think it's on my old computer. But it was it was an entire adventure that I wrote. Oh, cool. What yeah, was with stats and everything. Uh, it was called Escape from Rahadum. Mm -hmm. And it took place in the nation of Rahadum within Pathfinder, uh, which is an atheist nation. In, atheist in not the we don't believe in the gods, but atheist in we actively reject the gods nation. Okay. And the whole point of it was is that you were a worshiper of a god and you needed to get the hell out of there. Mm, interesting fleeing state lines okay essentially <laughs> wow <laughs> very well uh cool and then you started working on freelancing and stuff like that a lot of people when they first get started with freelancing they wonder what the process is like did you want to talk briefly through that as far as like when you get your assignment how that works when you're working with uh, some sort of lead developer lead designer and you're in communication with them what's the process normally yeah uh so when we do paizo hardcovers we usually have a space where like the group can kind of interact with each other um that way everybody can kind of bounce ideas off of things we have the we have the lead designer in there we also have some of the other designers as well as a bunch of as well as the lead editor in there um and that way we can kind of talk about ideas for things that are upcoming um typically you get your assignment they'll send you out a very nice formal email they'll send you out a document to sign um that says i agree to give you x number of words in exchange for x number of dollars uh could be depending on how many and how much uh you send it back to them you get into the little area where you know you can talk with everybody and exchange information we have a milestone which is kind of in the middle where we send about half of our word count in and the developers at that point will go this looks good this is what you should fix 
this is how you should move forward with things um then you know you get that back you take their advice or you don't it depends on if you're really interested in continuing to freelance or not and then from there uh you will work towards your turnover which is when you turn everything in it's a final date it can be pretty flexible if you need a little bit extra time but generally that's your final date um and then about a month later you get paid and then about a year later you see your work that sounds like a very tightly scheduled process it is for deadlines and things like that i'm curious uh and i don't know if this is proprietary i don't know why they would hide this but maybe it's somewhere in your nda uh when you do sign up as a freelancer how many rounds of edits do they normally do well, I mean, I can just tell you that as work from working as an editor, uh, we will typically do about three or four rounds of edits. Uh, we don't tend to send those back to the freelancer for work. Uh, we do that editing all in-house. So you'll take first drafts and say, this is good or this is not good. Uh, they'll take first drafts that goes to the development team and then they'll develop it from there. They'll fix the stats. They'll make, they'll fix the numbers. They'll verify the lore and everything. Uh, once it hits the edit, it's already been through a person already. So yeah, that's not what I expected. Is that normal? It's normal for Paizo. I don't know if it's normal for other people. When I did work on Coyote and Crow, uh, I turned in, I didn't really have a milestone. Connor Alexander was just sort of like, write this thing for me. And then occasionally he was like, hey, Shay, how's that going? Uh, but that may have also just been because he knew that I was already experienced at that point. Essentially, at that point, I you know turned everything into Connor. And I was like, okay, how do you think? And he went, okay, great. Make all these edits. So he sent it back to me. We had a red line stage. And then I sent it back to him. We probably did edits on shadows over the moon two three maybe four times of us just going back and forth but it was also partially trying to figure out like how adventures were set up and things like that uh when i committed when i contributed to stories of the freelands i think we only had like two edits so project dependent i suppose and how closely you're working within the spec and sometimes you're writing and you don't realize there's something like slightly adjacent to it that you need to account for so yeah i really know i've only been able to really interview and like get more information and from the freelancing aspect of like people who work with wizards so Mm -hmm. it's been this is really fascinating for me so i'm gonna ask a bunch (laughs) of other questions if that's okay sure yeah um so i'm curious do you so you said that there's a space for freelancers to interact and i know how i do that but i'd like to know a little bit more about how paizo does that if that's an okay question uh we have private servers where people interact with each other uh we put those together um about as much information as i can give out but we have basically a private server area where all of the authors can interact with each other we also have and this is sort of adjacent we have a freelancers discord server where the freelance where paizo freelancers just sort of hang out and they talk with each other about different paizo freelancer things uh and opportunities and such staff know where to i say staff like i'm not part of staff now it's some it's a habit i get into when i talk about the server uh but it's where like um staff members can get a hold of authors there's a rolodex so that we can see like who's available and who's who's you know interested in writing what uh things like that uh but as for like project things it's a very privately put together little server where people can bounce ideas off of each other um the unfortunate thing is when you're writing society scenarios like i assign and like i've written uh you don't have that space you're just kind of there on your own with your word document going right ah and uh, sending a lot of emails for for me and doing the collaboration process i think it sounds like the industry is a little bit moving towards that um, based on my conversation with uh, Brian Cortijo, who just uh, was a contributor for Dragonlance, the new adventure oh. by Wizards. And um, the way that uh, Wes Schneider was running the group was that they 
connected everyone that had related stuff in the adventure to be able to share their drafts and read and then also uh, adjust what they needed to in case there was a connective line through them. According to its reputation, like based on, you know, me being in the pro GM scene and like all these other pro GMs who have read it and done it, I'm holding off on it because um, I need to wait to be a player uh, with someone. <laughs> uh, so I have not spoiled myself at all, but I hear great things. It's like got yeah. really highly rated reviews. So I, I feel like in part that collaborative process for adventures and like books and things like that, you really do create the best stuff when people are working together and can collaborate, which is totally divorced from what I heard that freelancing used to be in which like you live in your box and you submit uh, your draft <laughs> and then you never hear about it again. And then eventually it comes out and it looks totally different than when you submitted it. That's great to hear. I, I love to hear that. Uh, and a lot of our developers are like very communicative too. So like we get feedback at a certain point after we've turned things in. So our, our developers are very interested. I say our developers, like I'm not, it's one of those things. The developers at Paizo are very interested in making sure that authors can grow and continue freelancing with Paizo. There is a, a large, like, well of silence between turning it in and seeing it again, but but there's a little brief glimmer of hope when they send you your feedback email and you're like, okay, I didn't accidentally burn the book down by turning something bad in. That is that is pretty cool. And do you get like do you get the ability to like read it before it comes out as a contributor? You just gotta get it in the mail or Sometimes depends on the project. Uh, When I assign scenarios, I like to make sure that people get them a little bit earlier so that they know what's going on. Um, Mostly because most of the people I know who are writing scenarios want to run them. Oh, yeah. And they tend to drop at the end of the month. And that's exactly when games get scheduled. So I tend to see how probably a couple days earlier. I'm like, I hope you're excited. Uh, They tend to be excited. Uh, Some of the rule books, I think that's starting to happen with them i don't know i haven't contributed to a rule book in a little while okay yeah 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 um for for your contributions and like you moving from freelancer to where you eventually got hired i wanted to talk about what sort of work that you ended up doing and like what you learned early as a freelancer that really helped you out as far as turning in better work i benefited in one of two ways uh, one was when I turned in my beast theory entry, which again was my very first anything I've ever done. Um, because we had that server where we could all discuss with each other and see what's going on. Um, I had a fantastic, uh, I think is the word that I want to use. I-, I had a fantastic leader in, and they're actually currently the lead editor over at Paizo, and that's Avi. Uh, Avi Cool was a fantastic guidance for me. Uh, they gave me fantastic advice on how to format things and how to write things up. Liz Liddell gave me fantastic advice on, you know, feedback and telling me, you know, here's what we changed. Here's what we didn't change. Here's how you can improve things moving forward. And then uh, I went to my first PaizoCon, which was fantastic. We had it online that year. And we, I was discussing something with John Compton, um, mostly about how nervous I was to be freelancing and kind of in a freelancing space because I had only had Beastery 3 and I hadn't done anything else uh and he gave me fantastic advice which was all you need to do to make sure that you continue freelancing is the information that is given to you in your feedback and apply it moving forward I want to see that you're growing with each assignment that you turn in and I've lived by that since and that's the advice also that I give people whenever I assign things and they're like I'm a little bit nervous about moving forward like just make sure you take every piece of dice that I give you move forward with it uh, apply it in your next assignment as long as you keep growing and you keep learning as an as an author we will continue to assign things to you 
Wonderful. And that's, I think, probably imperative for a lot of these smaller companies that need to be reaching out and finding new, both writers and perspectives and different contributors, as you can't tap the same 20 people in the industry, especially if you're developing like new stuff, or perhaps your LLC isn't as established. So you can't use the same 20 people that you read in the back of a Paizo book. But you may know somebody that is just getting their start and maybe you can provide them with their first opportunity. Let's talk about uh, Starfinder. What do you like about Starfinder? Uh, the biggest thing about Starfinder that I enjoy is the fact that Starfinder is not purely a science fiction um, universe. It's more of a space opera kind of thing. Uh, so when you approach it, you need to be thinking less of like, oh, Star Trek and more of like, oh, the greater fiction of Star Wars. Um, it's very dramatic. There are revolutions going on. There are different fun species to interact with and play with. There is an overarching theme of like making change within the galaxy and how and seeing how things ripple out. Uh, there are gods and magic still doing things in this universe. We have not abandoned those just because we have pew pew laser guns. Uh, so that's what I like about Starfinder. What would you, as far as like how it plays and things like that, um, mm -hmm. as far as like what it feels like, how does it feel to you? Um, Starfinder's a bit crunchier than Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Um, I have heard, and again, this is the thing that I have to confess every time I come on a new podcast, is I never played Dungeons & Dragons. I never got that chance. Uh, I went to a Southern high school in Texas, and we didn't have a Dungeons & Dragons club. So I basically fell into Pathfinder once I got out of school. Um, but outside of that, uh, it's a bit crunchier. If you're coming from like 3.5, you're probably going to understand it a lot faster. Um, but again, the rules are pretty self-evident, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, there is a lot of math involved. Yeah. Um, I recently had a very good experience with the Pathfinder beginner box. Okay. And, uh posted about it i didn't expect paizo to retweet me but they did <laughs> um so then it like got a lot more eyes on it but i see that um let me i'm i'm looking right now i should have looked this up before does starfinder have a beginner box starfinder does have a beginner box okay it takes you through a very base level adventure um you know you you get to learn about the math and the different rules and everything and it's very straightforward what i did is i threw myself headfirst into starfinder by going let's play aeon throne and everybody i told all my friends like yeah i'm gonna start jamming this they're like that's great how much starfinder experience you have and i'm like none and they're like keep nethys open and that is exactly what i did i see um is there a starfinder beginner box for foundry i don't know if it's on foundry we don't have as much starfinder support as we do pathfinder support see, um but i do I know there are modules business. where you can port it over yeah um it says Starfinder Beginner Box, a game system for Foundry. I'm going to have to check this out. Yeah. Because I found that's what happened when I was using the Pathfinder Beginner Box. Because I literally, my experience was I downloaded it and my players, like I had like half of them have something come up. So I still had like three or four players. And I was like, okay, well, we'll just run a one shot or whatever. How would everyone like to try Pathfinder for the first time? And they were like, yeah, sure. I would love to. Uh, and then I downloaded, I bought the module online. I downloaded yeah. it. And in 10 minutes, I was running Pathfinder. Yeah. Because of the beginner, how the beginner box is set up. I can't say enough good things about how the Foundry VTT uh, beginner box module is set up. It's it's very intuitive. It's quick. It's mm -hmm. very high quality. I said on Twitter, and I'm not lying, it's the best $35 I've spent <laughs> as a professional GM in the past year. The amount of value provided in, in it, astronomical. So knowing that I can rely on uh, Foundry to do the math for me is great. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> because 
I have way less questions and it doesn't grind gameplay to a halt. Um, and it helps me run my business really well um, in that respect. So after like I was on the fence, honestly, because I was like, if I have a bad experience with this beginner box, I'm no kidding. Like I'm going to I'm going to take Paizo and I'm just going to like the or Pathfinder and I'm going <laughs> to just like throw it in the I'm like going to throw it in the proverbial trash because I don't have time to learn a majorly complex system. If that process is streamlined, then I can learn it and I'm excited to learn it and then we can play and have fun and I can discover together with people, which is exactly what's happened with beginner box. Mm -hmm. So mission accomplished, uh, yeah. very good job to that team uh, <laughs> and including the team who converted to Foundry. I don't know if that was Foundry VTT or your team or somebody within Paizo, but... It's a mix. Uh, it's a Andrew mix, White but... is our major Foundry partner. Uh, he works on our tech team. He's fantastic. Love him to death. Uh, he has been banging down our door about Foundry since Foundry started. And yeah. honestly, he's the reason that I'm on Foundry now because it's like, okay fine i will give it a try and i'm like oh no it did all the things for me yeah it's um it, w with especially the way that the system is set up for pathfinder it does a lot of the character sheet stuff which can be the most confusing yeah. part of running the game uh for you and i can like spend however long flipping through our 600 page core rulebook uh or using the search bar <laughs> at uh uh nethys you know in order to to find what i need to find but um honestly having a lot of the traditional stuff and only having to look up obscure rules really helps um a plus experience recommend it to everyone if you're not running pathfinder you have no excuse now that that found your vtt modules out <laughs> in my opinion if you're a pro gm at least like yeah. you you can at least run these introductory uh, sessions for people as far as like uh so i don't see that there's a foundry vtt on starfinder i'm gonna have to professionally inquire about that i see that fantasy grounds is um supported and yeah. they have a sirenscape thing but i don't see like a foundry vtt module so i will eagerly look forward to that for starfinder oh yeah i'll pass it on i'll poke andrew with a stick yeah and i'm also looking forward to um so i played a little bit of the um the alcat games um for like kingmaker and i for that reason, I am looking forward to uh, the Kingmaker being brought to Foundry. So we'll see when that happens. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, maybe in like two years or something or whenever y'all get around to that. Um, that's an immense amount of content, I know. But I really liked it. I just didn't like certain things that that dev team did with the with the content. Um, some content, as you and I both know, based on me glancing over your Twitter content, um, should probably be removed or changed. And made less a certain way yeah um, um there what i could say is within 1e certain kind of cultural like understandings of things and certain things got were gotten away with and such um however in second edition we actually edited this and we were like uh we're gonna we're gonna fix some of that we're gonna remove some of these offensive stereotypes we're gonna fix this um we still kept true to the kingmaker adventure path just because you know it's our baby and everybody loves it it's everybody's favorite thing uh yeah. so we made sure to get that updated and corrected um amiri's still there amiri's still fantastic and is a hell of a woman yeah great yeah, I, um, you know, I had a similar experience, honestly, and I don't think this is unique to Paizo or Wizards or any of these other publishers. Um, Cobalt Press, uh, the Empire of the Ghouls uh, mm -hmm. campaign, I was the uh, producer uh, that put together their light play show, um, and we ran that on their channel. But the one of the first conversations we had is like, there's some storylines in here that are basically our our gm's jewish and there was uh, a lot of there was a storyline within the empire of the ghouls uh oh, no. campaign that was uh 
essentially the the way it was written and we understand the intent of it and like the direction that the story was going to go but not necessarily something that a jewish gm would want to run um for the same reason that um because we had a diverse cast we were less comfortable with it as well um so we just adjusted it and you know to their credit kp puts in the front of the book like a lot of these storylines you or some of these storylines you your table may not be comfortable with the themes provided in them and this is either meant to be explored or you can rip it out and do what's right for your table and right for your people um i don't think that when i and i just want to caveat like that i just want to append that too when i say that i'm going to remove stuff from kingmaker you know that's i think that's a normal part of gming to be quite honest because oh yeah um, yeah Um... Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, in fact, um, uh, my last Starfinder Society scenario was um, 5-2 Road to Reconciliation. And we were talking about it not long after I moved into my developer position. Because the developer for that is Jessica Catalan. Um, she's one of my fantastic co-workers, love her to death. Uh, she's also Matisse, so she's uh, she's native. Um, and she assigned it. It's a very, it's a very particular storyline about the Starfinder Society returning an artifact to an indigenous coded uh, species and sort of moving forward with that however at the very beginning of the book i detail that you know there's this place called the admantine bastille and it's it is technically a prison as run by the starfinder society um and i noted in there oh well this character who came from this species to get this sacred artifact back originally uh they died in prison you know they were put in there on trumped up charges and then they died and it was something that somebody kind of they messaged me later somebody who was running it they were like hey um is it disingenuous to your story if i remove this and i'm like what do you mean they're like well i'm black and i have a lot of family who's been incarcerated and i'm like oh my god i did not even think about that absolutely like you can take any part of my stuff if you're like this makes me uncomfortable and you can wiggle that around absolutely however i've also been very vocal about that because that scenario kind of got a certain population within the paizo community up in arms because they went well why are we apologizing for everything and i'm like if you are a white american and you're playing this and you feel uncomfortable i want you to feel uncomfortable because this story is about returning sacred things to native so there is that like if this makes you uncomfortable because i wasn't even thinking about like your your cross about your cross i wasn't even thinking about your personal experiences as somebody who is you know a black indigenous person of color i understand completely change that around do anything that you need to do so no i get that i'm just sitting with what you said i'm thinking about it so it's no secret that most of the industry is like white people right yeah no secret at all right yeah yeah so how have hmm, based on my like last two years of uh you know coming out of the closet and like transitioning and everything so i know that um at least from my perspective uh people who belong to a marginalized community aren't you know necessarily like a spokesperson any marginalized uh people they're not but because you're a public facing indigenous person yeah and you are okay with stating your opinion what's that been like for 85 percent of the time fantastic um putting my words out there um i've found a supportive community and I can't even just be like of other native people. Like certainly there is a supportive community of other native people, but I've also found a very supportive community of just generalized tabletop people who will listen to what I'm saying and go, Oh yeah, I see how that's an issue and let's fix that. Let's move forward. How do we fix that? How can I avoid doing, you know, in native stereotypes at my table? You know, how can, how can I make this better for, for people? 85% of the time it's, 
fantastic and people listen and people ask questions and people want to grow and learn. The other 15% of the time, unfortunately, it is, um, I have shot up about, uh, sorry, I'm doing math real quick in my head. I've shot up about 1400 followers over the past week and a half. And that is a very interesting situation. Um, because every single day I wake up and I have a new ridiculous DM in my inbox. I also have some fantastic DMs in my inbox. In fact, you were in my inbox. And that was great. I was so happy. Um, but then I also have one. Uh, let's see. Yesterday's was I haven't checked my inbox today. Uh, yesterday's was um, actually about being a white passing native person. It was um, why are you bitching about native thing? I don't know if I could swear on. No, I swear all the fucking time. That's okay, fine. good. Uh, why are you bitching about native things uh, when you're just a white girl? And it's like, well, because Timmy, you need to understand uh, white passing natives exist typically for very unfortunate reasons, uh, sometimes for very fortunate reasons. Sometimes they just get married and sometimes bad things happened to native women in the past. Um, that's why I exist. And I talk about native things because I'm a native person, Timmy. So that's why I bitch about native. But I've also had other experiences, like when I was working with Coyote and Crow, um, one thing was we all kind of bonded over a lot of experiences that we've had in Tabletop Universe. Um, I actually had somebody call my uh, tribe, call the tribal building in uh, Oklahoma to ask about me. And the unfortunate thing is, and I'm very kind of upfront with this, is Shay is not my birth name. Um, I am an a gender trans person. I changed my name. So when they went, oh, is Shay Snow a Caddo person? They obviously got, no, I don't know who that is. But also like that building doesn't even deal with who the, who who is and is not Caddo. And it was like, well, that was a harassing call. Um, and I only found out about that because that person then messaged me to be like, I called the Caddo Nation and they said they don't know who you are. Well, yeah, you called their their random ass government building who won. It's not like they just have like a sticky noted list right there of every Caddo person who existed. And two, you don't even have my birth name. So what, why would they even have that on their little sticky note? <laughs> I just talked about a similar adjacent issue with Katiosaurus and mm -hmm. people reaching out to her and being like, you're not really disabled. You're not. And like... <laughs> What the fuck is people's problem? Like, I don't know. Um, that was one of the things that Connor Alexander and I actually bonded over was a lot of people suddenly got to question like, oh, are you actually Cherokee? You're just a dude. You're just some guy. And he's like, I have my tribal card. Like, I can prove this. And like, he sent us out an email and he was like, yo, I can prove that I'm, you know, a Cherokee person. I'm like, you don't have to prove that to me. You told me and I look at your face and I go, you're a native person. You're a cousin. I understand that. I know who you are. Don't worry about it. And I just, it's one of those things where like immediately white people will come in and be like, are you native? Are you really? I don't think you are. And it's like, bro, you need to take two steps back. But then you also have people who are like, well, if you don't like it, go make your own shit. And I'm like, well, here's my card. Shayj.card.co. There you go. That's all of the shit that I've made. If you don't like it, you should be a full-time professional in the industry like you are. <laughs> <laughs> I've also yeah. had people who are like, well, I'm going to tell Paizo that you talk about this. And I'm like, it's on the internet. Paizo like... follows me. Okay. <laughs> Do you want my boss's name? I'll give you her name. You can tell her directly. Uh, you can contact, you can at Eric Mona and anything that I write. I stand by what I write. Um, that's wild. Like, uh -huh. that's wild. I noticed that 
a lot of the time, like the people who the 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 you know the the Karen esque type people, the people oh, that yeah. that really feed off of that negativity. It's really just like it's very like they're very reductive about the way they approach things and they're mm-hmm. just always like i'm gonna i'm gonna tell the teacher on you tell him you, you bad kid you you fake you grifter <laughs> like my profile's public like okay that's, that's one of those things that's like whenever someone comes into like my mentions or whatever and they're like hey there's no way that you actually make this much money and i'm like oh no like i do and there you go start playing games like tells people this like yeah i will give you my like i'm not we don't get like receipts we just get like payouts so the best i could do mm-hmm. is like send you screenshots but like yeah you know i why would i why would i lie about that you're acting like i make a lot of money by publishing a newsletter i yeah. don't <laughs> i don't know people are no I, I definitely get that um my spouse and i have had to do a lot of mutual aid um prior to them you know working and everything and then we'll get I'll get people who are like, well, I know you make six figures at Paizo. And I'm like, where? What? What? Please. What? I'm like, that's not even like taking a shot at my pay because I'm like, you know, I, I recognize, you know, I'm, I'm very open about this. I make $45,000 a year, which isn't a lot of money. I do live in the Pacific Northwest. I live literally in Washington. Um, But, you know, it's money that I live on. I do not make six figures. I did not make six figures before I worked for Paisa. I worked for a call center and I made, uh, I think when I filed taxes at that call center, I made $30,000 a year. No, I do not make six figures. I promise. If I'm asking for mutual aid, we need mutual aid. Please, my friend. Yeah. the It's a personal, I guess, I don't, 90% of my business is run on spite. And I say that often because like... <laughs> Most of the time, like when I decide to do stuff and I get really jazzed up to do stuff, it's because mm-hmm. I'm angry about something. Like oh, when when certain news dropped in January, I was like, okay, I'm going to run like <laughs> 10 workshops in two weeks and teach everybody how to advertise their non-wizards games. And I did. And I <laughs> I had like 60 fucking people show up, you know, between all these different workshops. Yeah. Um, and it's something I've done in the past, so it wasn't like a big deal for me to do it. It destroyed my schedule and I got way overworked. But oh, um, no. yeah, like on top of that, I was doing my normal job and then my side hustle, um, which is like publishing. But as far as like, yeah, most of my decisions that I make, unfortunately, are like driven by spite, which mm-hmm. is good and bad for me for a number of reasons. But doing is like I if someone gives me the fuel to like prove people wrong, I love that shit. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely understand. Um, My uh, something that I'm very forthcoming with was I did not graduate from college. I dropped out of college and everything. So like my last English teacher was uh, my senior English teacher and it was senior AP English and everything. And she looked at me after I like finished all my assignments for the year and we were graduating. It was probably like two weeks before graduation. She looked at me and she went, you want to be a writer, right? I'm like, yeah, I've always wanted to be an author. It's kind of been a dream. She's like, it's not going to happen. Like, you need to accept that now. Like, you are never going to be a published author. I've seen your writing, and I've seen it all year long, and it's never getting any better. And it was so tempting when I got my first copy of Beastary 3 to address it to that woman, because she's still teaching at that same high school, and just be like, guess what, bitch? There it is. Damn. That's like such a mean way to say that too. Like mm-hmm. she could have, she could have been like, "Hey, I know you're still like you're plateauing right now." You, she could have said that a lot of different oh, ways. Oh yeah. She could have been like, 
hey, you're plateauing right now. These are the resources I recommend for you to like, you know, continue to grow mm-hmm. and like, you know, but it's a tough world out there. You know what I mean? Like if you oh, really yeah. want to get it, like she could have done so many different things than telling you you're not going to make it, bitch. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And I remember going home to my mom and being like, this is what this woman said to me. I can't believe this. Like, I'm sobbing. I'm, like, crying my eyes out because, like, this was my first class of the day. So mm-hmm. I spent the whole day with oh. that on my mind. And I went home to my mom like that. And I was in theater tech, so I wound up staying late to do a bunch of theater stuff. And I'm still, like, sobbing my brains out. And my theater teacher's like, are you good? I'm like, I'm not good. Yeah. And my mom's like, oh, she wants to talk like that. I'm like, mom, you can't go up to school. Mom, you can't go up to school. Mom, don't go up my mom is very much a fight or flight for very much a fight for everybody person mm-hmm. uh she was like no i'm going up to the school i'm going to talk to that woman I'm like you're not going to talk to that woman i know what you're going to do you stand you you're two feet taller than that woman i know exactly what you're gonna do yeah that's that's some rude ass shit um oh yeah she was terrible <laughs> damn well maybe that was the spite you needed to get okay. be successful <laughs> So maybe maybe you should think, send a thank you card at some point. Yeah, every like, time I get really like, um, oh gosh, what's the word for it? Uh, oh, the thing where you don't think you're good at imposter syndrome. Every time I get like really bad imposter syndrome, I'm like, do you remember tiny angry woman said to you? And I'm like, I do remember what that tiny angry woman said to me. Yeah. And I'm going to remember that. And I'm going to beat her up. <laughs> metaphorically with writing yeah i was just talking to my therapist the other day actually uh yesterday and i i only quantified that with like yesterday because some i know that some southern people i'm not southern but like some southern people are like yeah just the other day and like they mean like six fucking months ago or something (laughs) 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 but yeah so yesterday i was talking with my therapist and i was like describing something and then i came to a realization about like two minutes in which is i guess what therapy is but Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, oh shit, I have imposter syndrome. Oh shit, that's what this is. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Especially in the, uh, I, I receive a lot of messages complimenting me, which is nice. I love that. I basically thrive on, uh, positive reinforcement because, uh, my parents never expressed their love for me when I was a child. But, um, <laughs> um, it, 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 they just weren't affectionate, right? That's mm-hmm. a better way to say that. And, um, but anyway, so it, it, it like gets it to a certain point though, for me though, that sometimes I feel like everybody, I know that this is the truth. The truth is everybody's like figuring out projects as they're doing them. And there mm-hmm. are very few people who actually have done like multiple projects within, um, A, because it doesn't pay enough. And yep. then uh, B, because it's a sort of a niche hobby and mm-hmm. it's very difficult. And generally most things require some sort of investment from somebody and who has the money to do that when the industry doesn't pay enough. Uh, so the cycle continues. Yeah, it's just for me, the imposter syndrome, like now I'm reckoning with it. I'm finally reckoning with it because <laughs> I have, people telling me all these nice things every day which i really love i appreciate the best thing that people tell me is that uh or the best type of thing that people tell me is hey i was reading your advice or uh been listening to your podcast or i've been a supporter or something and now i'm making a full-time wage or a living wage or um i remember having someone who was uh james and james was in one of my early workshops and not to say that i did all the work for james certainly not but they attended my workshop and they like took my advice and everything like that and this is a person that is uh, a trans disabled person that lives on disability and um now they have paid off all their debt they make uh up to what they can make at the limit of their disability uh, and still receive disability i should say Mm -hmm. um, based on pro gming and they do it in a way that they like to do it 
that they do it play by post um, yeah. instead of uh, doing a live game. They're moving into live games. But yeah, he has basically had his life changed by pro jamming, which is really great to see. And that's the type of thing that really feels my desire to go out and try and help people make a living. It's just kind of weird to me also when I have like these people who have been in the industry mm-hmm. for 10 or 15 years or they're on all these big actual play shows and they like message me and they're like, hey, I'm I'm figuring this thing out. Thanks for the advice. And I'm just like, I have watched you for five years on the television, <laughs> but I am glad to have helped you. Yeah. Um. But so there, there's that aspect of it. But I wouldn't say that. I'm just really good at playing it cool, I think. (laughs) Because I'm going to be honest, and I, you know, like when I went on that panel and I was like there with like B-Dave, it was weird because like me and B-Dave had like interacted before a few times. Yeah. But then, but then we like interacted and they're like normal people, just like everybody else, which is what I expected. But everybody's nervous. Everybody's, you know, having their first interaction with each other. So. Oh, yeah. No, I get that. Anyway. Big long thing about <laughs> imposter syndrome. I sometimes like when I show people like my writing and stuff, I'm just like, they better fucking like it or I'm going to like, <laughs> or my self-esteem is going to fucking tank. Like, no, but I after, get that. Yeah. Yeah. So the imposter syndrome is, uh, it, it, it becomes unwieldy sometimes, but easy to manage with therapy, right? I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about your experience with uh, Coyote and Crow. What was it like to work on that project? Um, if, if you want to talk about Connor, uh, <laughs> that's fine too. Uh, yeah. Working Coyote Crow was a very unique experience um, just because, uh, as we established earlier, uh, the tabletop universe is a very white kind of community. Um, the majority of the people you're going to be playing with and writing with and working with are going to be white people. Uh, so it was very interesting to kind of go into a project and it's like, these are all these native people. Here are all these native people who have all the same experiences you do. Sort of. They're in different parts of the country, but they also have these native experiences. I'm sitting there like, oh, oh my God. Like I could actually like talk about like native stuff, like aunties and things like that. And y- oh my God, y'all get it. Y'all know, y'all understand. Like, oh, my cousin was being an idiot. And they're like, yeah, I mean, like that's what cousins do. They're idiots. And it's like, oh my gosh, it was a fantastic um, experience. Working with them was amazing. Um, we had a discord server when the initial Kickstarter went live and it just, we were like, oh, it went live. Fantastic. It's going to be great. And then we're like, oh my God, we funded. And it's like, oh my God, we're we're getting over our funding limit. It was like, we were literally counting down like how much money we were getting. It was amazing. We were like, that is fantastic. We did not expect this. Um, working with Connor was great. Uh, he was a fantastic mentor. He really gave me a lot of chances to do a lot of like things that I hadn't gotten to do yet. Because like with Paizo, it's very like structured, like you're going to do this and then you're going to do this. And Connor was like, you want to write an adventure? And I was like, hell yes, I want to write an adventure. We're figuring out how adventures look. And I'm like, fantastic. Uh, what do I write? And he's like, I don't know, write something. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm going to write this thing that helps me uh, to mourn an, a family member that died a while ago, uh, but also deals with a lot of like spiritual things. And he's like, do it. Do what you need to do. Do what you want. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm just going to start writing. And it was it was really great. That, that became Shadows Over the Moon, uh, which is available on Roll20. 
nice. but that that allowed me to like uh talk about my yeye who was my you know great grandmother uh who passed away when i was much younger um and it allowed me to kind of talk about like a cultural thing that we had which was you know shadows causing night terrors which i had i had issues with night terrors when i was much younger and it was really nice to kind of talk about that it was extremely cathartic um and it was it was just such a wonderful process and he brought in you know an artist who did fantastic work and put together all those wonderful drawings that that are available in it and it was just sort of like wow this was a hell of an experience and then he's like hey you want to write on stories of freelance and be around a bunch of other native people again and i'm like yes yes i do so it, it, it's it's a one-of-a-kind experience let me tell you yeah that seems wild that's you know i i inadvertently made over half of my team on uh the vineyard queer but it just kind of tur- it just kind of turned out like that yeah but that's that sounds wild if like and then i guess the how to gm romance i'm trying to think is anybody just straight no everyone's either <laughs> straight or is not wow okay let me double check that i'm just trying to i'm pretty sh- i'm pretty sure my whole how to gm romance uh team is not yeah uh wait no yeah oh yeah i think so we're all queers it's a win for the queers we got it's it. a whole smattering of queers yeah it's a whole <laughs> smorgasbord of queers <laughs> <laughs> um cool 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 okay um what's the f- have you been working on uh coyote and crow projects that you're probably not allowed to talk about um are you currently working on them or are you moving forward with them or like what's going on with that uh at the moment i'm not working on anything with them i'm kind of taking a small freelance break at the moment because i i have been freelancing pretty much straight since 2020 yeah uh it is now 2023 it is january of 2023 and i i'm i'm like i'm gonna take a small break i'm just not gonna write anything for people and not have a deadline uh, mostly because I became a developer at Pathfinder Society and we have a very tight turnaround time. And I'm like, I just can't think about more words at the end of the day. Please give me a break. That was a weird thing that I learned since moving into the space is like, it doesn't seem like it's a ton of work, but um, mm-hmm. it still is very draining. Like yeah. You only have so many hours in order to apply your editing brain or your writing brain or whatever you need. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you're still giving energy for everything that you do. So you're going to have a limited, a limited amount of gas. For you, uh, getting into the, you started as an editor at Paizo, correct? It did. Yeah. Can you walk me through like what a normal day would be for you and like how your workflow? Yeah. Um, walking in as an editor um, was definitely an interesting experience. Uh, as I've detailed before, I came from call centers and then immediately went into the tabletop universe. Um, so usually my day would start typically about 10 30 to 11 a.m uh i am a late riser i would grab um pages typically in word or uh in adobe pdf i would take those onto my piezo provided pc which it's not a pc it's a mac we use mac publishing industry tends to use mac oh really um, why is that i don't know <laughs> i think oh. i think it has something to do it's been explained to me let me see if i can recall this it has something to do with the fact that macs have a better color thing uh they're they're more color true or something like that and since we work so closely with our art team it's just better that we all have the same kind of uh hardware so that things can transfer easily there is a much smarter way to put that and i don't know how to put that in a much smarter way because i have my own level of dumb all right fair enough fair enough uh we did our work but on the mac you know i'd take it from the adobe pdf i'd extract files into that or i'd grab the word document of the day that i was working on uh they typically ask us to do about 12 pages in a day which isn't typically too much too hard and you just uh go through making changes tracking your changes 
Um, you'll go into the Adobe program that we use to enter into the to enter into the changes. Um, we typically have about meetings once or twice a week uh, where we talk about you know different things that we're ta- that we're taking care of, different things that we're hitting like hard spots on. You know what's the next product coming down the line because uh, most people know Paizo is continuously producing. Yeah. Uh, we don't stop making stuff. Uh, like I've said before, Wizards only publishes like three times a year. We publish all the time. We are constantly in the go. Um, and then you know. Typically at a certain point of the day, you know, you'll go take your lunch, go back to the editing just all the time. Um, when you're editing, you're checking grammar. Uh, you're checking for house style, which we use the Chicago Manual of Style. Um, you're making sure everything is formatted properly so that it makes all those pretty lines and things that you see in our lovely Paizo books. Making sure our art doesn't overlap, making sure things don't overlap on top of the art. All sorts of stuff. Double checking the little... Um, where just left my head caption little captions at the bottom of the art pieces that tell you what they are things like that we're basically going piece by piece through every single document and then you turn it in at the end of the day you wake up the next morning you do it all again is it pretty normal for people to or editors to be also doing layout uh we actually don't do the layout process uh art lays out all of our books and then our developers go in and they'll do copy fitting is what it's called where they make sure that you know everything generally looks the same, look, okay. looks as it should, and then we double check to make sure that the layout looks right. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. I must have misunderstood what you meant because normally I, I know I just know how it works in the indie scene, really. So I was just yeah. kind of curious um, what the differences might be. Okay, cool. And then you got moved to Pathfinder Society Developer. How's your job different now? And please describe that to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pathfinder Society Developer, for those who don't know at home, um, essentially we have an organized play program called the Pathfinder Society, whereupon you play Pathfinder as many times a week as you want, honestly, at this point, because you can find games on Warhorn for every single day if you wanted to. Uh, But we release uh, four-hour scenarios once a month at the end of the month. Uh, We'll release one for Starfinder Society, one for Pathfinder Society, and I am the one who takes care of the majority of the Pathfinder Society. I also have a coworker named Josh Foster, who also does Pathfinder Society scenarios, and he is doing the upcoming quest line, which will be two hours i sorry mm-hmm. no no problem there's a cat on the just for everybody else if you'd like to introduce your cat to the podcast. this is this is sweet corn yeah um he is a persian mix um no he's a siamese mix sorry i was gonna mix it up he is not smart um but that's okay what he makes up what he lacks in brain cells he makes up for in love and there he goes he only wants to climb up on me whenever i'm doing a thing um the other one is beans beans is an orange cat nobody can decide who's in charge in this household because they're two boys cool um so society developer yeah. in that role yeah let's talk about that i mean i'd love to give you an average day as a pathfinder society developer but everything's but everything kind of shifts around right um typically in my day i'm going to probably assign a scenario mm-hmm. um i'm going to work on an outline for a new coming for an upcoming scenario um writing that out telling the authors what kind of what i want to see but you know giving them enough space where they can get creative with it i'm going to be developing a scenario that i've already received um so in that case i'm going in and i'm looking at what the author has written and i'm you know making adjustments to it if like oh this needs to flow differently in this way uh or i'm balancing like the combats and making sure that you know we are not tpking our level one to four players i'm double checking the lore on it making sure that everything is still keeping up with all of the things that we have published since 1e which is a lot i don't know if people know that it's a lot um i'm giving I'm giving feedback on pe- on things that people are submitting to me. If they're submitting outlines or if they're submitting uh, their, you know, their midpoints where they're like, I've written about 5,000 words. You know, what do you think? Um, scenarios are 10,000 words. So 
that's what I'm taking that in. I'm giving feedback on that. I'm getting into meetings with my manager, Linda Zayas Palmer, um, or with Josh and Jessica, um, talking about different, you know, organized play things. Right now we're in the middle of getting ready for our upcoming new Starfinder Society and Pathfinder Society years. So there's a lot of discussion on what does the art look like? What are the concepts for the upcoming season? What do we want this to look like? How do we want to change this? Do we want to make different, do we want to do different things? Um, I'm looking at my calendar to see if I'm forgetting anything. I'm submitting art orders to our art team and telling them what things should look like uh, for NPCs or important items. I am desperately trying to remember to eat food at some point in the day. And yeah, it's typically about it. Yeah, I totally get that. Sometimes I go downstairs and I'm like, I haven't eaten all day. Weird. Yeah. I just had, I had coffee though. So <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a common thing I run into, um, which I'm told is an ADHD thing, but uh most likely like i i'm pretty sure that i have but um yeah that being said for mm-hmm. uh, pathfinder society developer do you like the work um, what do you like about it i like being able to interact with authors and you know seeing how things are moving forward i like to be able to kind of take a vague outline of things that i want to have done and then just giving it over and seeing where they go with it um i love, that. I love doing that That's yeah the- it's the best like hey here's a little seed of something can you just like grow this magnificent beautiful tree and yeah. seeing the results of that yeah i love doing that it's my favorite sorry project manager type stuff no you're good <laughs> uh it's genuinely one of my favorite things is assigning things out and then getting like milestones and turnovers in and i'm like yes it's gonna be great yeah. and then i have to develop it which is also fantastic but also is sort of like at a certain point where i'm like okay okay i've looked at this scenario every day for like the past five days and my eyes are going cross-eyed i would like to pass this over now thank you and that's nice to have like a support team like in case you have some sort of wall that you hit and you can bounce stuff around i do like seeing stuff first and like experiencing it and i remember like when i received like first drafts from my project I was like weeping tears of joy because it was like my baby. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. But yeah, I I think there's something that's really cool about collaboratively or dile- words. editing or fostering some sort of environment and developing in real time something mm-hmm. creative with other people and being an enabler for that sort of process yeah is really addictive so i'm gonna i'm gonna pursue roles like that i think moving forward i like um i like doing that because it makes me feel good um first of all i think it makes me feel good because i don't necessarily have to like be the person that made it happen you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. i get to prop others up who have done like really great work you know that's really fun for me i really like showing off like hey my friend did this great thing you should look at it you should read this (laughs) you should buy it i love doing it I love doing stuff like that. That's really fun for me. You moving forward with stuff that you are developing for 2023. Let's talk about it. Backwards Southern Gothic. Yes. Backwards Southern Gothic was a lot of fun. Um, My primary contact was Asa and Asa was a fantastic guy. He was like, hey, uh, we're writing a lot about this kind of area in the South um, over near St. Louis. Uh, Specifically, I contributed to City of the Arch. But we also are hyper aware of the fact that this is Cahokia and that this is where a lot of Caddo people were. And we'd really like a Caddo person to write this. Would you be interested? And like, yes, absolutely. And uh, so they were like, all right, cool. Uh, Come up with a bunch of NPCs. uh, Tell us, write anything you want about, you know, what's going on in there, uh, about what's happening. You know, how does Cahokia work? How do the people interact with each other? You know, how can players get into this and take plot hooks and work around things? So that was a whole mess of fun. I think I did something like 7,000 words for them. 
um and it's full of just like me cramming in as many indigenous npcs as i could um i got to write about the uh traveling settlements i got to write about um the usage of cahokia as a mound city again which is always amazing and fantastic um and it i I also got to see the art process for the creation of a lot of the npcs i'm so excited i believe they've shared some of the art on their twitter and they were just fantastic it's so amazing and you are did, do you have a date for that? Do you have like a rough like I don't know off the top of my head. I believe they kickstarted it. Um let me Okay. Do you have like a do you have a link I can put in the description? Because I am I'm let curious me to grab it. Do you have a mechanical keyboard? Is that therapeutic for you? People who have mechanical keyboards really enjoy them. I don't know. Uh, this is a knockoff Razer keyboard. I technically got it for my partner for their birthday. Okay. Uh, okay. And then when we moved, they no longer had like a desktop oh. setup. So like now I have it over here okay. at my streaming computer. Yeah. So it was like uh, a it was like a bowling ball situation, huh? Essentially. <laughs> okay. No, I got you this keyboard. I mean, like I did get them the keyboard. <laughs> i did do that you did it but you know but you know i benefit i'm not gonna i won't lie do you let do you have like visiting hours for your keyboard <laughs> uh but i also bought a mechanical keyboard to use on my pi on my Pizone uh mac as well because uh, uh they gave they were very nice they gave me an apple keyboard but the apple keyboard is and my wrists were like fully hunched over like typing in a weird way and i'm like i'm no. i'm gonna get something maybe a little bit more ergonomic this is their itchio it should have all their stuff oh it's an itchio project okay cool yes yes and that talks about asa and alex let me grab that oh yeah that first project there it is uh it is currently pre-order uh estimated delivery is march of 2023 okay march 2023 a couple months from now not too not yeah. too long Thanks. it's really creeping up on us this looks really cool it's super cool it's a great setting uh the rules are actually pretty straightforward for running it is not a standard d20 system and it's it's generally fantastic they've got a quick start guide on there too so yeah this looks great and like as a southerner it's always nice to contribute to other southerners projects you're not from uh washington i'm not i'm from texas oh okay 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 when'd you move up to washington uh february of last year we threw everything into our suv and we drove like three thousand miles it was it was pretty fantastic move uh we really got to see a lot of parts of the country that we haven't gotten to see before um we did have a terrible stay in a uh, motel six where like the doors to the motel six were broken and there were people running up and down the halls and screaming at 3 a.m um and we ordered uber eats from this noodle place and we were like oh okay it's like a it's a noodle shop and like kanji my partner is from washington so their thoughts are like oh it's like teriyaki and and you know things like that i'm like oh it's a noodle shop so it'll be like italian and pasta and things like that and it was both and also macaroni and cheese it was literally any any noodle dish that you can think of like across the world they had within their shop Okay. None of it was very good. <laughs> oh, no. yeah. I, not to shit on Texas food, but I was never impressed when I was there. Um, I think like they, of course, you know, hang, hang their hat on like Texas barbecue. <laughs> if you're eating anything other than like being around the grill at your friend's house, like what is there to eat that's good? I don't know. Uh, 
text box is always fantastic. Uh, okay. we have I don't think I've ever had that actually. Now that you mentioned that, sorry. Shit, I love it. Uh, enchiladas and tacos and things like oh. that. Fucking love it. I lived in um, SoCal for a while, so I got kind of like the Mexican yeah. food, like sort of introduction SoCal uh, tacos and um, things like that. And I actually, I'm really lucky actually because here in randomly in Washington State, mm-hmm. I live next to a Mexican restaurant um, with Mexicans who own it. It's a family-owned restaurant, and okay. so. Yeah, so it's like a great uh, actual, like, it's difficult to find great Mexican food. <laughs> it is. Let me just say, it's fucking hard. However, if you're ever in, you know, Port Orchard, Washington, and you want to, you know, check out Blue Agave, highly recommend it. If you're All driving right. through and you're looking for some good Mexican, they make some good Mexican. Oh, uh, we have a place not far from us that doesn't actually have a name. It's just called Tortas in all oh, capital okay. letters and with like two exclamation points yeah that's legitimate mexican food i'll walk in and like uh i walked in and uh ordered in spanish and they were like oh okay great cool you you speak spanish i'm like yeah i'm from texas <laughs> like of course and people are like what what what's the restaurant called it's called tortas that's its name its name is tortas tacos and things like that <laughs> yeah that's how i knew this place next door was legit i walked in and they were talking spanish to each other so i was like okay yeah i was like all right i can trust the food here like, yeah. <laughs> uh, but also in texas you can get really good vietnamese food um we have a huge vietnamese population we also have an, uh, an enormous korean population yeah. uh, so like we've got little korea towns around texas uh, my favorite one was in Carrollton. um i'm very sad because right as we left they opened up a uh, fantastic korean chicken place <laughs> Yeah. And I got to chase their soy sauce chicken. I was like, this is delicious and spicy and soy saucy and everything. And then we moved to Washington. And I was like, no. I had a similar experience. I found the perfect ramen place uh, outside of Portland. And then I moved right after that. And I was just like, I wish I had gone here the three years when I moved here. And I was like mm-hmm. living next to Portland. But then I had to divorce myself from that ramen place. And now I have not found a replacement ramen place that has really... Uh, done it for me. I take that back. When I see my girlfriend in Everett, there is a great Roman place. I just don't remember what it's called. Do you know my huh. reason? But yeah, I guess uh, I guess that's a good note to wrap it up on. <laughs> yep. Eating food with your friends. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and uh, you know enlightening some of us about you know being a freelancer, working in the industry, and stuff about Paizo. Uh, yeah. So, did Thanks you have anything else? Uh, You're welcome to come on. Did you have anything you want to chat about uh, prior to signing off? Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, in April, uh, uh, Pathfinder Society Scenario Four Twelve is coming out. It's called Negotiations for the Star Gun. It was written by fantastic Paizo freelancer Mapia. Uh, who is a Dakota person and is a fantastic author. And we're super excited to see it come out. Wonderful. Uh, Can you provide me the link to that person? And then I will put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. I don't know if they have a, hang on. Let me, let me do one thing at a time. Yeah, no problem. I'm going to hit the stop record. Thanks so much for listening to the Dollars and Dragons podcast. If you'd like to support me and more importantly, my editor who does all of the heavy lifting here, then you can subscribe to patreon.com slash it's Friday. And that is going to go straight to my editor. Appreciate it. Thank you so much.